Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Uh, welcome back. David Butterfield has joined us very, very shortly. Twitter poll is up at SEN Breakfast. How many matches will the Hawks win this year? Zero to four, five to eight, eight to 12, <laughs> 13 plus. Where are you? I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay by my zero to four. I'm going to stand by it. And 64% of the voters are with me. Uh, 32% say five to eight. Man, he had four votes. Give it a couple And minutes. 4%, <laughs> eight to 12. I've got something for you to follow. Right over the next couple of months, Tom Brady signed a $375 million deal to join Fox's broadcasting booth next season. And there's a guy called Greg Olson who's in that chair at the moment. So as soon as Tom comes in, he's gone. He's nervous. Greg's nervous. (laughs) Greg's been the best special comms on NFL this year. Yeah, that's So it's a significant problem. Very good things about him. And they've got the Super Bowl, I think. Fox. So will they will Tom Brady out for the Super Bowl is Ooh. the question that a few people are asking. Um, it would have been a great topic for the scramble, that one. Sorry. Thingy. Sorry. Yeah. So just uh, we'll hold fire for that next Sorry. week because ready now is David <laughs> Butterfant. Uh, he is a fitness maestro. He's worked at North Melbourne, Collingwood and yes. Carlton. He's also worked with the Australian Athletics Sydney Olympics team in 2000. Uh, Butters, thanks for joining us. No worries, Kane. How are you kidding Going well, mate. Going well. Looking forward to this little chat. We've been waiting King, for you. Kingy's flying. Kingy's flying. I, I love this. I love this area, Butters, and I. I think that um, some players don't take it seriously enough. But when you are preparing an AFL team, just a simple yeah. question: How important is the preseason? Do we overstate its importance or not? Oh, crucial. I think it's crucial. And what what we do know, you know, Kane, is that if you ever you know, interrupted pre-season, more than likely you have an interrupted season. So it really sets a, a great foundation to have a have a good season. So, yeah, it's, it's fundamentally the most really important part of setting up your season, really. Well, so do you, do you express that to the players? Like, is there, is there a threshold? Darren Burgess to Port Adelaide said, so you've got to get through 80% and you've got all the measures now. Is that about the, yeah. the number where to have success in the season, you need to complete about 80% of the pre-season? Yeah, I, I, I would concur with that. I think that's one of the things that uh, you want that continuity. You, you, you don't really want to, you can't afford to have a soft tissue, you know, or any significant injury because it's going to actually limit your preparation, you know. And I, the key really is going into the season and starting well. And if you're physically in good condition, it would translate. Psychologically, you feel well prepared as well. So, yeah, 80% is a good mark. I reckon you get more, even better. Mm. Sam Money Walsh Sam Walsh, and Adam Trelaw are probably the two names that spring to mind when we have this chat. But how how do you see their, their progression back into football? So if they miss the first four weeks, do they do a, a, a an eight-week preseason, a six-week preseason? How, how long would you need from the moment they're right to go to get them to that AFL fitness as a midfielder? Well, these guys would be pretty fit. They'd be doing a lot of cross-training and a lot of conditioning, but nothing, nothing really replicates that match stimulation work that you do, you know, that, that combatant work that you have to you know, be involved with. So they'd be pretty well-conditioned. They'd be doing a lot of cross-training, a lot of rehabbing, but until you really get that combatant kind of functional kind of 
specific kind of lie. It, it takes a few weeks, depending on the athlete, depending on the history behind them as well. Some some could actually transition within about four weeks. Some may need a bit more. Um, probably the, more the older players can transition because they've played so much football. But depending on the severity of the injury as well. Um, so they may have to be kind of slowly graduated into the program. So if they can get up quickly, right. But um, they'll still need that match condition, which... Yeah, you know, usually takes at least you know, three to four weeks before you get you know get to that level. We spoke about the frustrations that I have with you know players such as Jake Stringer. I don't, you don't need to comment on him specifically, but have you seen examples of players that were weren't great when they first came in? Perhaps didn't understand what was required, but then were able to flick the switch. You know, Christian Petrarch is a great example. Max Scorn I've used this morning. There'd be thousands of other footballers, but. Is that common for a player to come in, not fully understand what's required, but then be able to, to learn and, and change? Well, you, you definitely, you know, and you're always, it's ongoing education, and you've got to learn and understand, um, you know, the whole, the whole kind of dynamics and, and, the, and the whole methodology of, of preparation, and not, not from a physical point of view, to everything holistically, you know, how you eat, how you sleep. Mm. You really want, you want that accountability, and, and basically... You know, this is a profession. This is what they do. It's how they live. You know, live being an elite athlete. So, it's it's what comes. It's a non-negotiable, really. It's um, when you come into a program, that's the lifestyle you've chosen. Okay, and your number one asset is your body. So, how you eat, how you sleep, how you train, fundamentally is really important. It really comes down to accountability. You know, it comes down to your own individual accountability. And if you get those things slip, well, you're going to be compromised. Um, and your longevity can be compromising as well. Mm. So, yeah, look, I think when we see these athletes that do it for a long period of time, that, you know, and this is in all sports, they've got a wonderful constitution and they've got this wonderful accountability on themselves as well. You were with Mick at Collingwood when you you changed the interchange, really. I mean, you just started to rotate <laughs> more heavily Ruined than any the other game. team. Ruined the game, <laughs> Butterfin. <laughs> so there's, there's two schools of thought. I'm with lowering interchange because I think that would slow the game down and have less pressure on the ball which would increase skill level others would say if you restrict interchange injury rates will go through the roof where do you sit on what would happen to the game when you restrict interchange if they did yeah that's a really good question you know I think it, it can just go back to the fact and and really I mean and all clubs you know collect the data and and look at it closely so basically you remove the subjectivity and think, well, okay, when we have high interchange, what actually did happen? Well, there wasn't really an increase in injuries. You know, what, we didn't notice that. We, we actually saw the opposite. We found that we were able to protect players, whereas the velocity and intensity of the game went up as well. So, um, so did it really ruin the game? But actually what we want is our best players playing for longer, you know, really, and seeing the quality of the game as well. So it definitely favours... The athlete who has more endurance characteristics, if you lower the interchange, um, they won't. The onset of fatigue won't happen as quickly for those type of athletes. Whereas the more dynamic athletes will will actually be more predisposed to injury. So it, it does, that will change the kind of profiling of athletes recruitment as well. You know, so um, mm. you know, basically, it will suit you know, the endurance athlete way more than the explosive athlete. Those players that you're talking about that have missed pockets of of the preseason, um, butters. We heard Ryan Pappenhausen, who who was on SEN recently. He spoke about a return date versus a return to performance date. 
So they're two different things. You might be back at round two, but you not not be yourself till round six, seven, eight. You know, there's, there's a lag period. Have you got an idea with your experience in AFL football over, I'd say, close to 25 years, is, is there, is there a, a rule of thumb, a, a level of, of weeks that you think that players take to get back to their best? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think once, once again, it comes back to the type of injury. But that's, that's a really good point with these what he's raised there. And I think that depending on the, on the player, depending on the actual injury as well. And I think, as we know, injuries like ACLs, knee reconstructions, you, you very rarely see that, that, you know, the year they come back, they really have that dominant influence. Um, it might take a good half a season to get to get back going. It usually takes a whole season, really, if they miss a whole year of football. Um, you do see some kind of freakish kind of athletes come back and they really have a great influence. But um, depending on the injury, depending on how long it takes, so, you know, some have the ability to kind of get up and going within four or five games. Others would need ten. You know, there is a psychological component there as well. You're feeling that level of confidence and comfortability um, through traffic as well. You know, particularly if they had recurrent injuries as well, you know, there's going to be a little bit of inhibition as well in, in performance. So um, it, it, does, it does really depend on the injury and, and it does depend on the athlete as well. There is a mindset associated with that, I, I would say. Now, you've done a lot of different sports. You, you were the uh, number one man. You were the brains behind the, the approach to the tw- 2000 Sydney Olympics. In your opinion, is it possible to win the Australian Open with a three-centimetre tear in your hamstring playing every second day for two weeks? Yeah, that's a really interesting one. You know, like, if if he had... I mean, if it's the kind of the typical kind of bicep femoris tear that you have, that's, a, you know, that's... I, look, it's, it's... In football, I've never seen that. To, you know, but if he's had a kind of a, a facial kind of tear, um, it's not, you know, right in the belly... Mm. Uh, so it could depending on depending on the actual diagnosis and what the tear was. I think that's a no. Yeah, I think it would be. Um, David, thank you so much for your time, mate. There's many more questions we could have asked you. We're, we're a touch up against it with time, but we appreciate you joining us on Fireball Friday. Thanks, mate. Good idea, Cozy. Thank you. Fitness maestro David Butterfin. There. Um, there's doing, lots more to come. Doing Big great thought. things in the charity space. So if you get a awesome. chance. Throw some cash his way. Yep, awesome, brilliant. Uh, Check that out on Google. We'll put a link on our social media as well.